on today's show, we are getting to know Tanya. But first, promos and pleases. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up, Andre Psyche, and add a little creative inspiration to your social media circle. Listeners, listen up. Get 25% off your order at ShadyRays.com by using the promo code GETTING. Use GETTING when checking out to get 25% off on the best sunglasses around. Shady Rays takes extreme pride in their multi-layered lens technology, which is made for high visibility and strength, making it shatter-resistant. Go get you a pair or two by going to ShadyRays.com, perusing their polarized sunglasses, then using the promo code GETTING. When you check out, it'll save you 25% on your order. Please subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod on whatever app you're listening on. Please give a five-star rating. Please take some time to write a review. Please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on social media. Pretty, pretty, please tell someone about the pod. All of your clicking, linking, sharing, rating, reviewing, starring, tagging, and simple old-school speaking about the pod is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. And Tanya, I wanted to thank you for um, coming on and uh, taking the time, trusting a message, and letting people get to know you. I appreciate it. Glad to be a part of it. I um, so I was going through your Instagram, and immediate uh, the newest post I saw when I messaged you was like old clips of you being a news anchor and like making fun of your bangs kind of. Right, right. But then I was digging through some research and I found something which I thought was really cool and actually pretty something I've been dealing with as a teacher, which was you are an author, a compilation of children's essays about born by beautiful biracial. That's right. That's right. Um, I don't consider myself biracial. I don't identify as that, but a lot of my ancestors and relatives are. So I decided to put together a book of essays from biracial children getting advice or giving advice to other biracial children about how you respond when people say, what are you? Because from the time I was five or six years old, people asked me that question, like, what are you? And I even had a little girl, a little white girl, came to me after school and said, I know you have some white in you. I know you do. And like, I didn't know, you know, so I go into my mom saying, you know, do I have white in me? So she went on to explain how, yes, our ancestors were mixed, you know, back then in the 70s, we we used the term mixed, 70s and 80s, you know, and now people say biracial or multiracial. So, you know, I just identify as black, but I know I'm a multiracial person. And I I saw an interview with Oprah about, um, she was interviewing um, Mariah Carey. And Mariah Carey said that when she was a kid, the black kids didn't want to play with her because she was white. And the white kids didn't want to play with her because she was black. And it made me think of my cousin who was biracial and what she was dealing with. And I think at the time she was seven or eight years old. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have this little book for kids. And at the time I lived in Columbus, Ohio, and I had, and I thought, oh, it'd be great to have a little book for biracial kids. So that's how that came about. That, um, it's, it's something that's hard for me. So as a teacher and part of what I do, I'm a reading specialist and you have to like organize kids by subgroups because so much funding is about like, are you closing achievement gaps? And then you get to talk with kids because kids are more than what they are on a screen. They're actual people and you get to know them. And it's interesting when you have to make a choice when you enroll. So like I, my daughter's identified as Hispanic in, in, in school land, right? Like mm-hmm. a formally in school land. But I don't know if like she identifies with the Hispanic culture more than a 
white culture more than a black. It was a weird spot. And then when I saw your book, I was just like, I've never spoken to anybody about not why it matters because that sounds insensitive, but like trying to pick an identity or how that helps you in life. Like, is it a cultural reference? Like, I find strength in it. I think it force. I think society forces us to be in a box, and I don't right. think we should have to be in a box. Like, we yeah. shouldn't have to choose. You know, I remember I lived in Columbus, Ohio, and I had a party, and some friends came over and looked at my artwork, and I had like African artwork and Native American artwork. And they're like, you need to pick one. And I was like, why? Right. You know, I said, I have both in my ancestry. And then they kind of backed off. They're like, oh, like, oh, that's okay now. Now you're able you to. Know? So I feel like we shouldn't be forced into these boxes, you know? And I think because of the history of slavery in this country, like almost every black person in the United States is mixed with European ancestry. You know, when I did my DNA test, I sent it away to ancestry.com for that DNA mix. And like almost 40% came back Great Britain, you know, and I just attribute that mostly to to slave owners, you know? So I've been fascinated with genealogy and my family history. And I started working on my family tree when I was 12 years old. So on one hand, I feel like, we're all human beings. We should just love each other and find a way to, you know, get along and accept each other, right. not tolerate each other. Like, I don't want anybody to tolerate me. That's why I have a problem with the word tolerance, but I want people to accept me for who I am. So I have, you know, that I, I always say I'm like this peace loving tie dye wearing tree, hug, tree hugger. So, you know, part of me just wants everybody to accept each other. But then on the other hand, I feel like if somebody identifies with something, then it's okay to say that, you know, everyone should have respect and dignity for who they are and, you know, you know, their family history and their culture, you know, we're all Americans and we're a melting pot, but then part of us is part of that tossed salad as well, (laughs) because we can learn about so many different, you know, cultures here in the United States. Yeah, I am. I'm interested in the family tree, but I... Did have you found anybody that like famous or anything that like surprised you aside from the Great Britain? I haven't found anybody famous, but my uncle, he's really into the family tree on my father's side. And he said that he found a cousin and it was listed as Lucille Ball. And I was like, wow. <laughs> it was I think it was Lucille Ball. I don't think it was Carol Burnett. It was Lucille Ball. And I was like, okay, I have to go back and look that up. But the part that fascinates me is I made my family tree public. So when you make it public, other people can look at your tree and if they see hints, um, they can, you know, contact you and find out if you're related or not, Um, especially if you upload your DNA with it, because then it says, oh, you know, supposedly I'm your third cousin. Well, one of our family historians on the Hutchins family side, you know, made her tree public. I made my tree public. I connected to hers since she was the family historian. She found some of the slave owners in Virginia um, that when when my family on my father's side came here, they, they realized there was a ship that came from somewhere in South Africa and landed in Virginia. And the family name back then was either Roche or Roach. And Hutchins is obviously like a, a slave owner's name. That was a name that was given to us. So she found a descendant of one of the slave owners and they connected their trees and my tree all of a sudden went back to the 1500s in England. And I was just amazed that just sharing information like that, you know, with cousins who were pretty much strangers, you know, we just decided to share information. Um, So that just fascinates me. And, you know, the Hutchins name is like a Viking name, you know, so that fascinates me as well. Um, My mom, I did um, an ancestry test on her ancestry and I traced her X chromosome and that went back to present day Nigeria with the Hausa and Fulani tribes. And I guess the Fulani tribe is in like North Africa and the Hausa tribe was a little bit further South, like central Africa, but the two of them had a lot of relationships together um, and mixed together and migrated. So now I have this, you know, this desire to go see Nigeria, which I never had before. Um, I did a Y chromosome test on my dad before he passed away. And his Y chromosome went all the way back to pygmies. You know, it had certain markers in it that were similar to pygmies. I studied pygmies in college and I'm like, wow, you know, we can learn so much about ourselves 
So it's interesting to find out what we are. I just don't think that anybody should hold anything against us. Yeah. For and what we are. It's, I think of myself, my last name's O'Grady and I'm like, do I need to excessively drink to identify as Irish? <laughs> like, is that the part of me? Like, or is it an excuse because I'm like, Hey, I want to have a drink. Might as well. I'm Irish. And like, if I, I always wonder if I didn't have the last name O'Grady, would I look at simple things like drinking differently? Cause maybe it wasn't a part of like that cultural stereotype or that norm. Right. Right. I mean, I love breaking stereotypes. It's even like St. Patrick's Day is, is March 17th. Right. And everybody's like, oh, we're all Irish on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> and we do these tests and we figure out, oh my gosh, I found out I'm 6% Irish right. for real. But you're right. It's like we live with these stereotypes because yeah. people perceive us in certain ways just by finding out about one or two details. Yeah, you so add on to it. And it almost makes you like, it makes it easier to conform versus like find like what fulfills you to get a little woo woo with it, like where your own spirit's going versus looking back to like how I should be. Right. So I think the key is follow your heart, be free spirited, but at the same time, take in all of this information. You know, the thing that I'm really obsessed with now is just telling people that, you know, money and power make the world go round, but I think love should make the world go round. And I just started an Instagram channel with that name, Love makes the world go round because I think everybody should have respect and dignity. You know, it's easy to say, yes, we should all love each other and respect each other. But really, I used to think it was oversimplifying, but it's not. I mean, can you think about how many wars we could prevent and how many fights we could prevent if people just talk to each other calmly, you know, ask what questions they needed, agree to disagree and just said, like, look, let's have a conversation about this. Let's learn about each other, like you and I are doing right now, without jumping through all these hoops, you know, to, to create these stereotypes and, you know, make fun of people who don't live up to what those stereotypes are. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I feel like my purpose on this world is to, like, create peace and to teach people that there is a way to find common ground and to love and respect each other because we can live in a peaceful world. It's possible. We can do it. Especially when you have an abundance of resources. Like yes. if you have enough resources <laughs> that you don't have to fight over, we should just be figuring out how to get along. It um, it, it shouldn't right. be that difficult. I'm curious with the connecting with cousins and DNA, have you met any strangers? Like had any Zooms or Google Meets with anybody? Or has it just been through the website itself? No, virtually I have. Um, there have cool. been people who, I guess on Ancestry.com, it shows you if you have like first siblings, close siblings, first cousins, second cousins, third cousins, they kind of estimate the, the second and third cousins. So I've had people message me through the site saying, I think we're related. And then we compare notes and then we exchange phone numbers and we're, we're texting each other. The funny thing is on my dad's side, the Hutchins family, I met a woman named Lana Tucker. And Tucker is my mom's maiden name. And the funny thing is my sister's name is Halana. And she goes by Lana sometimes. So it just cracked me up that this woman with a name that was similar to my mom's side is on my dad's side. Um, so we've spoken um, on the phone. We've exchanged pictures, um, old photos. We've asked a lot of questions because we have names in our family tree, but we don't really know how they fit in. So we always try to find out, okay, are you my second cousin or my, you know, second cousin once removed? Right. And I actually took anthropology um, in college and I learned about, you know, different generations and how, you know, my first cousins, if they have a kid, um, that's my first cousin once removed. And then if that person has a kid, then that's my second cousin. So I'm just fascinated by this stuff. And I don't know why it keeps me up at night, just like wondering about all this stuff. Yeah, I um I'm a single child and it's and I don't have I might have a couple cousins, but like my father left when I was 10, so it was just like me and my mom and she didn't have any brothers or sisters. And it's I I don't know what I would do if like I haven't seen my dad and my dad like just pops up or if I had some like another I'm 41, if I had an, my 40-year-old cousin be like, "Hey, Sean, haven't seen you in 35 years." Like I really wonder would I like super, would I be like a super stalker? Would I just initiate a relationship and just throw myself all into it? Or would I, would I not want to, you know, cause like the bond of family. Are you curious? 
I've, I've fought the urge, to be honest with you. Um, I kind of am curious, but I don't know, like it sounds weird, but like the return on investment, like whatever, now, now you're in California, right? In this weird example in my head. And I'm like, how would we even have a relationship? What would be the point in knowing you? Would the time fulfill some part of me that is missing? You know, like, a, um, I don't know, maybe save me some therapy bills or some type of thing. <laughs> See, I am such a curious person. I would just want to know. And the thing is, if you meet and you click, that's great. You have a new friend Still, who you happen yeah. to be related to. If you don't click, you never have to see them again, really. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, because the family dynamic would allow you to like just persist in that relationship. It gives you the excuse to engage at right. the bare minimum. And who knows? It's fun just seeing if you look alike, you know, That's or if they know some tidbit about the family history that you didn't know. So I think part of me would be curious. But I guess if you're afraid of somebody stalking you, I guess you could, you know, make up a fake email address, no, you no, know. I would be the stalker. I would be like, oh my God, I have no family. You're the only one I know. And like, I'd be like, dude, what are you doing this weekend? I'm driving out to California. Maybe we can meet up and it would be a total random excuse. Like, it would be I'd interesting be to to find out if you like have similar hobbies or something, you know? Yeah. So is that something you kind of think like if we're related, we have for some reason, whether it's genes or whatever, we have these common interests. Yeah. See, I have no idea. I don't know if it's just looks or, you know, you never know because I, I did have a friend who was adopted and met a sibling, um, through, you know, through this DNA testing. And it turns out they did have some similarities. So it's weird. I mean, you never know if it's nature or nurture. Yeah, right. I just think it's fascinating though. Fascinating. Any cool jobs? Like any unexpected, I can't believe my family members did this at some point in their lives? Oh my gosh, they did everything. I found out my <laughs> grandfather was a boxer. Um, and I don't know if that, he was born in, I think, 1916 or so. So maybe he was boxing in like the thirties. Um, I just thought that was really cool. He was short and stocky. Um, but my mom said that he used to box. I don't think he was famous or anything, but you know, he used to box in New York. Um, and he also worked at the Brooklyn Navy yard. So I'm a union member. I'm in SAG-AFTRA and I used to work for the machinist union. So I was a machinist union member and I was, I'm still trying to find that stuff. Um, my grandmother worked at Reader's Digest, and I thought that was always cool oh. because I, I went into journalism for 15 years. Um, so that was really cool. But her mother was a hat maker in New York. So, you know, it's so cool to find out about all these different jobs. Um, yeah. My Aunt Dorothy Tucker uh, was a performer. You know, she auditioned for the Rockettes when they really didn't choose black women um, to be a part of the Rockettes. You know, thank goodness they do now. But they have you ever heard of the brown bag test? No. They used to hold up, employers a lot of times would hold up a brown paper bag. And if your face was darker than that brown paper bag, you didn't get the job. Like they, can you believe that? I mean, I just can't believe that right now. It seems like I mean, another world when like you hear things like that. Yes, yes. So it's like she was a dancer. Um, I think she sang as well. Um, you know, she was in New York City. I can't remember of the troupe that she danced with, but she did really well. And it was a well-known dance troupe. Um, but just to hear these stories, you know, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and then to realize now, you know, in the 2000s that we're still dealing with like racism and discrimination and colorism, you know, colorism in all communities, in the black community, in the white community, um, I used to work at Blockbuster Video when I um, just got out of college just for the summer. And I worked with a woman, a Latina woman, and her husband was Italian. And you would look at her and you couldn't tell, like, is she Latina? Is she Italian? Um, but her kids were obviously both, right? And one of her kids looked like her husband. He looked very Italian. He had lighter skin. One of her youngest kids, I think, had very brown skin, like indigenous Native American. So he looked like the stereotypical Latino kid. So she would take the, the kids to see her husband's mother and the grandmother wouldn't, wouldn't treat the younger kid who had brown skin as well as he treated the older kid who looked like he had white skin. So like there was colorism in that community and there's colorism in the black community as well. 
you know, and I just can't, I feel like I was born before my time. Like, I just can't believe we're still dealing with this stuff. Yeah. The, you know? I had not heard of the, the brown bag thing doesn't surprise me, but I'd not heard about it. But at the same time, it's amazing to me that like, that's an, ex that was an accepted standard. I would hope that we have issues, but maybe it's not as like blatant as that anymore. I don't think people will like do something like that, like that tactic anymore, right. you know, but I think like, I cannot stand politics. I hate politics, but I feel like from like 2017 to 2020, people were so blatant with what they felt, you know, you could walk around and say, Oh, I can't say that. Like, Oh, people get on me if I say that. Well, because we had a president who was saying things out in the open, like everybody started saying things out in the open. Yeah. So in a way, I feel like we kind of went backwards because it used to be in the South. There was, I mean, in the South, there was blatant racism, but in the North, it was subtle racism. Like we didn't say it out loud, but it would be behind closed doors. Right. So now I feel like we're, we're going backwards because now people are saying things out loud. You know, the good thing is at least, you know, where you stand with the person, right? To be you don't have to that. guess. <laughs> But the bad thing is, it's like, why are we letting hate rule our lives, our everyday lives? So that's why I feel like I was born before my time, because I'm thinking like, okay, I'm over all this. You know, I heard somebody say that saying, like, stop the earth, let me off. Like, <laughs> I'm at that point. You know, if there's space travel and they need somebody to go to a different planet, I'll, I'll volunteer. To be the alien. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> yeah, I wonder, do you think it would like travel with us? Do you think it's like something like a biological, it keeps you safe because you recognize things within your own tribe and you can like trust animals within your own tribe? I'm thinking of like a wolf or whatever. And like if a wolf saw a bear, it would be like, oh my God, I shouldn't trust this bear. It's different than me. No, I think hate is like taught, definitely taught. Like really? there are kids who, you know how kids, they understand speech before they speak it. Right. Okay. So kids know, even if they can't articulate it, if they're in a large place and there's an important meeting going on, like they know something important is happening there, but they can't articulate it. So I think when kids walk around and they see the adults hugging each other and loving each other and accepting each other, I think they pick that up and they emulate it. You know, I think when kids hear hate speech from the time they're born and they're learning words, like I can't stand the N word. I can't stand the Confederate flag because the Confederate flag means different things to different people, right? To a white person who's from the South, it may mean Southern pride to them. To almost every black person I know, it just means racism and slavery and hatred. So like when I hear the N word, I just picture somebody being dragged behind a truck or lynched with that flag around their neck, you know? So I feel like if there's a one-year-old learning how to talk and their parents are walking around saying the N-word or using any type of like racial or ethnic epithets, I just feel like they learn that, you know? Because Seven I've gone years. to, I do some photography on this side and I've helped other photographers in preschool to do school photos. And to so watch cute. these kids of it's... different ethnic backgrounds come in and they're so excited to see each other and they hug yeah. each other and you see white, black, Latino, Asian, they just hug each other and love each other. I'm like, I'm so happy to see you. And there are kids, you know, we, we hear these feature stories. I love good news stories. <laughs> and I quit the news business because I didn't want to cover crime, but I would have stayed in for good news. Right. And there are these news stories about two kids, like one white, one black who told their parents they wanted to go to get the same haircut because they wanted to confuse their teacher. They, did, they said the teacher is not going to be able to tell us apart. And the kids didn't even think like, oh, my skin's brown and yours is not, you know. Right. You have peach-colored skin. You know, I used to joke with my college roommate, uh, Marcy, when we were at Ithaca College, and she's like, how come they call you black when you're really brown? I said, how come they call you white when you're really peach? Right. You know, like there's so many things that we do that don't make any sense, but, you know, we need to follow the, the, the kids lead. The kids who are not told to hate or not taught to hate, we really need to learn from them because they, they automatically love each other. And that's what a lot of kids said in my, in the book by born beautiful biracial, like we all need to love each other. Yeah, the, the playgrounds can be a beautiful place when you just see kids playing 
and they figure out who likes to play games like they do, and then they figure out how to organize themselves pretty easily. You know, it it things can go awry if like you force a kid who doesn't like tag to play tag kind of a thing, you know, but if you find kids who play tag, nobody cares about color. Nobody cares even about gender. It's like, how right. fast are you? Do you follow the rules? Do you have right. a good time with it? And it's beautiful right. to see. It's, um, if it, it, it can sound kind of creepy, but it's like, if you've never just sat at a playground and watched kids play, you're missing out in life. <laughs> you <laughs> are. Need to. And the kids themselves, like if they're curious about something, they just come out and ask, yeah. you know, I have a friend who's a trans man. Right. And they said, okay. And like, once the question was answered, the kid just moved on. Like it wasn't a big deal. So I feel like they ask, they get the answer and then they move on with their life. They don't dwell on things, you know? Yeah. They don't bring in all the extras to it. They just accept, they accept without judgment. They accept right. without prejudice. They're just like, Oh, that's what it is. Okay. That's the thing. And it's like, I may not like you. I may not like what you do, but I'm not going to hate you. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, Flip to the argument, which I find interesting, and it, I haven't been around babies in a while, but now you've got me thinking about the teaching aspect is like, I feel you have to teach more often for kids to share than you do teach them to like not overshare. I feel like by nature, most kids are stingy with toys, that right, they right, want right. to grab their own toys, that they don't naturally want to just give out what they think is theirs. And I'm like, I... To me, I'm like, that is a decent counter argument to something within people, whether it's evolutionary for like safety is more, it's innate. Yeah, I more do like think it's keep innate. people at distance, you know, versus just let me be open at first. I think that's innate because I remember I took a child psychology course at Ithaca and I remember there's some stage and I don't know if it was at one or two years old where the kids like giving you all their toys. And then you have to give it back, but they're like, oh, take this, look at this. And then you give it back to them. But you're right. There's another age where they're like, no, mine, Right. you know, which is like a later stage. But yeah. like, no, that's mine. They like, they learn ownership and they don't want to share at all. Like these are yeah. my toys, right? you yeah. know? So I think that part may be, you know, just part of us. It may be innate. Yeah. And in middle school, going back to like, I guess why an identity or a sense of race might matter. It's something happens in life where you want to start identifying as you want to find a tribe, you want to find what you're into. And I wonder why and how much race like has to play a part of it. Like you can't do that because you're this race or, Oh, it's not usual for this race to do that. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if society will get past that, but as a teacher, I'd see it kind of often because kids talk smack to each other <laughs> and it's like, I don't, it, it perpetuates, I guess. And I don't. It's I don't, challenging. Yeah. yeah I and I think that, you know, it's like, I hate assigning color to music, you know, like, I don't yeah. think there's black music and white music. You know, you have black musicians who play rock. You have white musicians like uh, who, who sing R and B. You know, so I don't really associate, um, you know, color with music. So I feel like that's why I love breaking stereotypes. But for the people who are pushing beyond those stereotypes, it can be really challenging. And it, you can get down if everybody around you is just telling you, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, you have to be strong enough to push through. And I think a lot of times in middle school, that's tough for kids. In high school, it's tough for kids. Sometimes you get through college and then you finally realize, Oh, wow. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, like, I it doesn't matter what people think. That, I guess that's the biggest lens for me is like the mental health aspect. Cause I'll see some kids being like, I feel like I have to act a certain way where I don't want to act that way just so yeah. that people don't tell me I'm not like, you're supposed to be this. And they're like, no dude, I feel a different way about it. So what could we call that course in college? Like we used to take human relations courses and I was a peer advisor in high school, okay. um, in White Plains high school. And we would talk about stuff like this and like help other students as peer advisors. Uh, so I feel like one, you know, we need to teach kids personal finance, yeah. teach them how to do taxes. Um, I saw a meme that said, oh, I'm so glad I learned about parallelograms because it really comes in handy during parallelogram season, you know, <laughs> That's but so true. there are these life skills 
that, you know, students need to learn. And I think part of those life skills are not worrying about what other people think of you doing what you love, you know, following your passion and following your heart. And I think we need to tell them that it's okay to do that. Um, To branch out. Right. And it's sad that maybe we need a course to do that. Yeah, that's a good life. Yeah, just uh, it, you wouldn't want to call it like a mental health course. It would need a good name, but like in essence, it would be like a self-esteem course. Like you're good enough. <laughs> you yeah. you are you. You are okay. Something yes, like yes. where it's like, don't feel bad about being you. Like try, exactly. kind of like try different yous. Find interests that you might not have. Don't limit yourself. Like that's right. the and whole And kudos part. to you teachers. Kudos to you teachers because I feel like you all are kind of doing that on a one-on-one basis, you know? Um, I used to talk to my nieces about girl power and she's like, oh, my teacher talks about that. I'm like, great, I'm so glad. Yeah, there's, at least in our district, there's a huge emphasis on, um, like they'll say connection before content. Like a kid can't learn if they're not in the right state of mind. Um, I'm like the Maslow's hierarchy type thing. And it's, um, it's pretty true when kids can like just when they listen and when I think more importantly, you listen and you can affirm like whatever, Hey man, you want to try baseball? Well, no one in my family's ever played baseball. It's like, doesn't mean you can't like go, go go give it a shot, man. You really think I could do it? I'm like, I, I, can you hit? Yeah. Yeah. Then you probably be okay. Like go try it. You might like it. You know, just having someone in a position to like encourage that's not their family. Cause sometimes they're like, Oh, my mom always just tells me to do that because she loves me. But like that outsider reinforcing something that's within them is um, right. can be very powerful for kids. That's why I love Big Brothers Big Sisters. I think that's a great program. Okay, are you part of it? Because I don't know much about I, it. I was part of it in Central Ohio because um, I lived in Columbus for fifteen years. So I think it was Big Brothers Big Sisters of either Greater Columbus or Central Ohio. But I was a big for three years, um, and we called this the. the the student a little. And uh, I was in a neighborhood called Wineland Park, which was in transition. And we're still in touch to this day. I always told her, you can always call me no matter what. And we were matched for three years. And I would take her, you know, to parks, we'd go bike riding, you know, just fun activities. Because a lot of times, parents maybe work two, three jobs to get by and they don't have a lot of time. So they just want someone to one, either be a role model or just spend time with the kid, like you said, who isn't part of the family, you know, to give the kid encouragement. Um, So yeah, there are big brothers, big sisters, chapters all across the country. And they're always looking for volunteers. Um, And I, (laughs) yeah. And I think some, um, I was not in the Greek life, you know, in college, but I think that there are also some sororities and fraternities who, as part of their community service, they volunteer with Big Brothers Big Sisters. Yeah, I think sorority and fraternity, I go kegger right away. So it's good to know like, <laughs> right. there's more purpose than just partying. What inspired you to do the Big Little, the Big Brothers? I wanted to volunteer. I knew I always wanted to help the community somehow. And when I was in Columbus, I think I started volunteering around 1992. So I had been there about two years. And I was a reporter at the ABC station there. And I think I had a friend who had done it and they said they had a good experience. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to try this. So you have to be interviewed. You have to be fingerprinted. You know, they have, they ask you really tough questions um, to make sure that nothing bad will happen. Of course, like, you know, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Have you ever been abused? And, you know, you have to answer no to all those questions. Um, And of course, when they get your fingerprints, they look up. Up, you know, whether you have a record or not, but it's just so rewarding to give back and just to see the light shine in a kid's eye from right. the new experiences that they have, you know, it's just great. And, and you could renew your term. So I think I did it year by year. Um, and I did it for three years and then my schedule got kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, see, that's what I was wondering about is like, it's real nice to volunteer, man, but like the time commitment especially I'm assuming like that was like you're trying to become a professional and you want to put in work, you know, or you have a profession and you're just, okay, let me sacrifice a couple hours to just help a stranger, you know? And like, I wonder about like an internal battle of, I don't know, like it would be fulfilling, but at the same time I have ambitions 
And I only have so much time. Time is right. always a limited resource. So I think I met with her once a month. I think it was uh, like okay. one um, a day, like a Saturday a month or something like that. Gotcha. Or if she wanted to go to a movie, I might pick her up like during the week if like her homework was done or something like that. So it wasn't too bad. It wasn't like once a week or anything. And I think they ask you how often you would be available. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But they really had a backlog, you know, especially for boys. So Backlighted. it's been a, it's been years since I've done it. So, gotcha. you know, I don't know how it is right now, but it's a great way to volunteer if anyone's interested. Yeah, I um, it, yeah, it, I see a lot of it through coaching now where a lot of guys, at least around our area, um, southern Delaware, like giving up their time to just try to be a role model to the young men. And I don't know of anybody in my circles that does any um, like volunteer grouping that's non-sports related basically. Right, right. You know, Well, this is a great way to do it, you know. And of course, besides Big Brothers Big Sisters, there's the Boys and Girls Club is another one. Um, there's so many organizations to volunteer with um, kids, you know, in different states and different areas. You know, I know, I'm pretty sure they have one here. I'm based in Washington, D.C., so I spend a lot of time in the district and in Maryland and Virginia. You know, in Delaware and Pennsylvania aren't too far away, and I know that they have chapters um, across the country. And, of course, Washington, D.C., the headquarters happen to be here for lots of organizations. <laughs> that. So. How old was she? She was 10 years old. Okay. So um, I was matched with her from when she was, I think she was nine turning 10 up until she was about 12 or 13. So it was a really important period, you know, especially for girls. There are some parents who their kids go to public school for elementary school. And then some parents actually send the girls to like an all girls middle school because that's like oh. such, you know, such a, time period. I know you have daughters. I don't know how old they are, yeah. but that, that middle school age is just such an important time when you're like coming of age, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of parents either, either their excuse was they didn't want them to be distracted by the boys, but they ended up sending them back to, to public school when they were in high school. So I don't know what it is. I remember when I was in middle school, you know, it's tough because when I turned 12, I was like, Ooh, I feel like I know a lot about the world now you know at 12 I'm, yeah. I'm saying that right and I didn't know hardly anything back then yeah. but it's when you're you know getting your own identity you know that's around the age where I think I took off and and played with, at a friend's house after school without telling my mom where I was yeah. you know my mom was a single mom I was a latchkey kid I'd come home and you know lock the door and everything my sister would be there but my mom had to have that talk with me where when you get out of school if you're going to go somewhere you have to let me know yeah, where right. you are did you know, because you, you start getting that independence. Yeah. Did you have the uh, key tied around your neck on the string? Were you that much of a latchkey kid? After I lost the first one, yes. <laughs> right. That was like such a status symbol back then, at least yeah. for us. She's like, if you lose the second one, you're not getting another one, you know. Uh, how was it with the 10-year-old? Like, did it come natural to hang out with 10-year-olds? Or was it like, were you hoping younger earlier? Did you like vibe with a certain age No, it was fine. Group? It was fine with the 10-year-old. Uh um, I, she was really shy at first because she didn't get, get to know me, but the more we got to know each other, the more she opened up right. and I told her she could ask me anything. And she did. Um, the only time I got in trouble was I was taking her home one night and the sun had just gone down and we were one block from her house. And she's like, Oh, there's my friend. Can you let me out here? And I let her out uh, before <laughs> taking her home. Like that was a no, no, like you have to take them home, watch them go in the door to make sure they get inside you know good rule her mom called me and she's like where is my child and i'm like i just dropped her off so yeah there are protocols but she definitely did open up you know and um i think her mom was like really strict with her okay. you know you know i guess i'm not a parent so i'm, I'm like living vicariously uh, through my nieces and nephews gonna say fun aunt <laughs> yeah so i felt like um her mom just wanted everything to be be okay you know and wanted to make sure that she had the best life that she could so it was a form of love you know maybe tough love um but I'm glad that that I got to meet her and and spend time with her and um yeah and I think 
I haven't talked to her in a couple of years, but I have like an email address. So <laughs> I've got to check in with her after I'll check in with her after. That's, that's why we have this talk just for you to remember to send her an email. <laughs> yes. Yes. Give her a shout out. I'm, um, I'm curious about moving around. I've heard like Columbus, I've heard DC. Have you lived a okay. bunch of places? So I was born in Queens. I grew up in White Plains, New York. No way. Dude, I was born in Queens. I was born in no Jackson, way. Jackson Heights. I, I lived there for like eight years. Really? Okay. Yeah. So I was born in St. Albans Naval Hospital and my dad was in the army and he stayed in the army long enough for me to be born in a Naval Hospital for free. Nice. <laughs> so my grandmother lived in Hollis, like on the border between Hollis and St. Albans. And my parents moved to White Plains because my mom's family was living in Greenberg, right outside of White Plains. So I grew up in White Plains, went to White Plains High School. Um, I did a training program in Boston. So training offers to be a reporter. Columbus, Ohio, I think in 1990, offered me $22,000. Uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, I think it was WICU, was a union station. It offered me twenty-one five. But Columbus was such a larger market. I think it was 32 at the time. Okay. There are 212 television markets, and Columbus, Ohio was around 32, 33. It kind oh, of wow. goes around there. So I went to Columbus to the larger market. I was green. I had one-year experience from Boston doing that fellowship. And in the fellowship, you kind of move around to different areas of the newsroom. And when you're ready, when, when the news director thinks that your um, writing is 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 high quality, they put you on the air for three months in Boston. So I had a brand new demo tape that I mailed out across the country. Back then we mailed out tapes. <laughs> we didn't email demos. And um, yeah, I got this job in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Erie, Pennsylvania asked me to fax my strengths and weaknesses. Then we had fax machines. <laughs> and Columbus, Ohio called when I was on the call with Erie, Pennsylvania. And I hung up with Erie, Pennsylvania, ran upstairs. And uh, my news director at the time was Emily Rooney who was Andy Rooney's daughter. And she said, I have Columbus, Ohio on the, on the phone. And they said, we want to fly you out. And I flew out to Columbus. I had an interview. The interview went okay. It wasn't a great interview, but I remember I didn't answer one of the questions the way that I liked. And I flew all the way back to Boston and I picked up the phone and I called the news, the assistant news director. And I said, hey, you asked me a question about like, how do you guys know that I can do this? And I don't like the way that I answered it. So I just want to let you know that both in college, at Ithaca College, and in Boston during the fellowship, I wrote my own stories. I interviewed, you know, my own interviewees. I asked the questions um, through college. I edited my own stories. I could shoot. So I just wanted to let you know I can take it from script to screen. I can do this. So later on, the uh, assistant news director told me that's what got me the job. The fact that I called him back and clarified, you know, I didn't like that answer. And it's, it showed that I cared about the job, you know, to let him know that I had to clarify this. So, you know, I loved Columbus, Ohio. I stayed there for 15 years on and off. Um, I worked at the ABC station um, for nine and a half years. I went freelance in 1999 and I ended up I'm not a morning person. And I was a morning and noon anchor in Columbus for three years till I switched with the weekend anchor. Thank goodness. Thank you, Terry Sullivan. She's still there. Thank you, Terry, for switching with me. And I ended up going freelance, doing like acting and commercial print modeling and hosting because I knew how to use the teleprompter. It was easy for me to segue into hosting corporate videos and training tapes. Um, I would audition for commercials. So I did that for nine years until the economy tanked, and then I had to go back to news. So I went back to Columbus, um, I think in 19... When, when did I go back to Columbus? It's all a blur now. When you get to a certain age, it's it, all a blur. Dude, it really My dad is. Just, it's, it's, a blur. it's a blur, but it feels like yesterday sometimes. Yes, it's, yes. That's the weirdest part. My dad had this term called sometimers. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I actually moved to D.C. in 2003, 2004, then the economy tanked in 2008, and I had to go back to news. I didn't want to, but I didn't have a demo tape, nothing. And the NBC station, NBC4 in Columbus, hired me just on my reputation. They remembered me from years earlier at the ABC station, and I was their first multimedia journalist, or MMJ. So it's basically like a one-woman band. 
So I was the photographer and the reporter. We used to have two-person crews, and there are still some two-person crews. But really now, there are a lot of multimedia journalists throughout the country, and the stations are saving money because they're paying one salary instead of two. Um, When I got to Columbus, my only in SAGAP, journalist, and both unions were fighting over me. And I just wanted the station to pick a union, just get make sure that I'm covered by a union contract. I couldn't turn it union. I tried. Um, so my contract was like a non-union contract at that station. Um, but I learned so much. And I think that everything happens for a reason. I was able to use my skills that I learned in college. Um, the station actually taught me non-linear editing because I knew tape-to-tape editing, you know, back in, in the 80s and 90s. Um, they taught me to shoot on smaller digital cameras. So I, you know, going back to news brought me from the analog age into the digital age. So I learned new skills. Um, I stayed there until 2011, and then I moved back to Washington, D.C., because at the time my dad had been in a car accident, and the woman who was renting my townhouse in D.C. stopped paying the rent. <laughs> so I didn't want to lose my townhouse, so I told my station you know, back in Columbus, look, I'm about to lose my townhouse. I have to go back there. So luckily, they let me out of my contract. I moved back, and I moved back in, and... I actually did traffic reporting the second time around um, here in Columbus, uh, here in D.C. I did traffic reporting in Baltimore and Washington, D.C. for television and radio. And then I got a job at the Machinist Union in December 2011. I worked there for 10 and a half years. And basically, it was a multimedia journalist for a labor union. So I did the same thing that I did for NBC4 in Columbus, but it was just for a website and social media. So the Machinist Union is a labor union. It's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. It's a very large transportation union representing like Boeing workers, um, Lockheed Martin workers, um, flight attendants, baggage claim. Um, It's a very diverse union. And, And I worked in the communications department. So I feel like everything happens for a reason. I was meant to go back to Columbus to learn these digital skills. And then I was able to take those digital skills with me to the machinist union. So I've done so many different jobs. I mean, I feel like I should start a thread on social media about what were all your jobs in order, you know? Yeah. And I went from like day camp counselor and tennis attendant and nature assistant to a, a um, like a mural. I was a city arts workshop uh, artist apprentice. I would help <laughs> an artist with a mural. Um, and that was, those were all summer jobs because I was in summer jobs for youth, which is great. We make, made minimum wage. I made three thirty-five an hour. Um, <laughs> but I had all these jobs. It's crazy that minimum wage was that low. Isn't it crazy? Three yes. thirty-five an hour. And I would save half my paycheck to put into my <laughs> savings account, which was like my college fund. And then the other half I would spend. But I worked at Blockbuster Video one summer when I got out of college before I went to my, you know, apprenticeship up in Boston to do the fellowship. Um, and then I became a news reporter and a news anchor. And and then my agent, I had an agent, a wonderful agent named Carol Mossick. And she had an agency called Cam Talent. And she got me so much work. And she threw me into acting because she needed some actors and some models. And this is why I love trying new things. She's like, you could do this. She sent me. And all of a sudden, I wasn't just doing hosting of corporate videos and reading teleprompters. I was actually memorizing lines and acting. Um, and it was a learning process. There was a learning curve. Right. Um, but I actually took early retirement last year from the Machinist Union because I turned 55. And I'm so thankful that I had a union job that allows me to get a pension. And I can. I went back to being freelance last July. So coming this July 1st will be one year. And now after a 10-year break, I'm going back to the acting and the modeling and the hosting. Um, And in the summer, I kind of eased back in with the background acting. You know, background actors are like the professional pedestrians you see (laughs) in movies and television shows that are in the background. Yeah. You know, they used to be called extras. Right. So I'm having a really fun time. I guess I've changed careers three times. And... You know, I'm going back to something that I loved, following my heart, you know, following my passion. 
And you don't get a vibe from you like you've ever worked a day in your life. You know how people awesome. say like that's the goal. The goal is to like never work a day in your life. That's when you, know used you to, found the right. Job. I used to always say that: do the work, and the money will come. You know, no, love the work, yeah. love your job, and the money will come. Yeah, I truly believe that. I feel like we worry too much about how it's going to happen. I just think in the back of my head, I always felt like things would work out and they always would have, you know, when I was freelance 10 years ago, I was running to the mailbox to get paychecks going, please let there be a paycheck in the mailbox. <laughs> and I went 60 days without a paycheck once when I was in Ohio. And then one day, all five paychecks showed up. So as a freelancer, all of our bills were late because we never knew when these, yeah. these paychecks would show up, but they would get paid, you know, eventually it's not the greatest for your credit, <laughs> but now, you know, my pension pays my mortgage. Thank goodness. I'm yeah. so thankful. I'm so happy and grateful for that. But the other freelance work that I do has to pay for everything else. Utilities, my streaming services, everything that I want. Yeah. You know, not so much the needs, but I'm having fun. I feel like you need to live each day as if it's your last. You know, if you want to do something, do it today because you never know what tomorrow will bring. And life is too short to just, you know, worry so much about what other people think of us to, you know, to struggle, you know, I've had part-time jobs where I work on the weekends so that I could freelance during the week. You know, I want to see what it would be like to wait tables. So I worked, I thought it would be just a summer working at the Greenbelt Marriott when it was a Marriott, it isn't any longer, but I wanted to be a server and I did it. That was the first time I ever had a cash job at the end of the night. I got cash. It's amazing. So then I ended it? up saying two years, I was not the greatest server. Okay. <laughs> You know, I was carrying a tray and you know how you balance it. And yeah. a guy tried to help me by taking the beer off. And I'm like, no, and the whole thing flipped. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I'm not cut out for this job. But I tried it. I thought serving was fun. I had that cash job at night. I could go to auditions during the day. So I'm just at the point in my life now where I have my vision board in my bedroom, you know, and one of the things on there says I create the life I desire. You know, I have my dream job. Success comes easily to me. I love affirmations. Yeah, it's I'm just really open-minded. I just wish the rest of the world was. Yeah, I, this summer I read the book The Alchemist, which apparently has been around for quite a long time. Yes, I've heard about that book. I have yet to read it, but I heard it's great. Yeah, and it's it's a lot like kind of what you're saying, not only speaking it into existence, but when opportunities come, not saying no. Being like, well, I want to be rich. Okay, well, let's go to this town. No, I'm going to be rich in my town. And it's like, well, do you want to live in a town or do you want to be rich? Like what really is the more valuable thing? Because you can get it. You've just got to pursue it. You can't pursue a million things. Yes. Find the I, one I, thing. Keep, I heard somebody say there's a book called The Year of the Yes. You know, And I okay. think um, there was an interview that Oprah Winfrey did. Um, and I bought a book. I think I have the book downstairs. But I used to say, okay, this is my year of the yes. Well, now I say it's not the year. I want my whole life to be like that. Life the yes. Just say yes to opportunities. Don't let fear get in the way. Say yes if it's something that fits. You know, if it doesn't yeah. fit, then, you know, know your boundaries. But, yeah, I feel like I'm saying yes to so much more and I'm going outside of my comfort zone because that's where I feel like the real growth happens. It, so it strikes me as like so much confidence to go out of your comfort zone? And I'm wondering, do you attribute your confidence to anything in particular? You know what? I feel like I'm just not, I don't like the way that I feel when I was fearful. And I'd, I'd say probably the first 20 years of our lives were like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? And I just feel like I just have this little voice inside my head saying, I can do this. I can do this. Like the little engine that could. Um, I was <laughs> doing a stand-up once on video and I kept messing it up and I was at a military base um, and we were shooting a show called Tech Knowledge, which was on Discovery Science. And there was a naval officer there and he heard me say to myself, I can do this. I can do this. And he goes, you will do this. And I go, you're right. Yeah. I will do this. We, we don't need to just say I can do this. Say I will do this. I will do this. And do you know I nailed that stand up? And for the for those of you out there that don't know what a stand up is, it's when a reporter is standing there talking to the camera for 10 seconds and they're on camera. That's a stand up. And I nailed it after he told me to do that. So I wish I knew his name. Thank you. I thanked him when I was there. 
but I really feel like, you know, if I knew then what I know now, oh, high school would be different. College yeah. would be different. I had pretty good experiences in high school and college, but you know, we all have those main moments where we feel like, oh, this is awful. The world's ending. You know, I was a, a serious kid, I think, for the most part. I was shy, but I was silly. Huh. And then I think by the time I got to high school, I was coming, you know, out of my comfort zone, definitely in college. Someone in college said, oh, she needs to get that killer instinct. Well, I got it now, you know. In the but nicest I just think it way. Takes, right. And it takes <laughs> some of us longer than others, but I feel like it doesn't matter how fast or slow you're going. It's your own journey. So... I just feel like my confidence comes from me wanting to just be the best that I can be. You know, I totally believe in reincarnation. You know, I believe I'm not a religious person, but I really believe that, you know, inside we have these souls, you know, I don't care if you use the word soul or not, but I feel like there's some higher power out there. You know, I have a really new age mom and my dad was an atheist. And I'm like right in the middle where I'm so open-minded that I feel like, yes, there is this higher power out there. You know, whether you call the, call it God, creator, Allah, it doesn't matter what the name is, just somebody created us. And I feel like I'm just trying to like advance my soul, you know, elevate my soul spiritually, like move higher, higher vibration. You know, I feel like, you know, I told you earlier that I wish that I, I feel like I've been born before my time. You know, but also part of me feels like a hippie from the seventies. Right. You know, the vibration. Like the... I'm sorry. I'm just wondering, like, how do the parents get together? Oh my god, that's how I wish I knew. <laughs> like they were polar opposites. They got divorced when I was five. Okay, they probably should have gotten divorced earlier. Gotcha. Um, that's another thing that's changed with me over the years. Like when I wanted kids and didn't have them, that was a really rough time to go through probably when I was about 40. By the time I was 45, I was like, I'm over it. I have great nieces and nephews. I'm okay with it. But I finally understood the people that said, you don't have to get married to be happy. You know, some people consider it just a piece of paper. I never understood that until I got to that age. And I'm like, I think they're right. Like to me, it is just a piece of paper. You can commit to somebody without getting married. You can love someone without getting married. So I feel like, Love is what makes the world go round. We just have to figure out how to get more people to grasp that concept. You know, love each other, respect each other, do more random acts of kindness. And I feel like when they, we do that and we volunteer and we see the happiness that we bring to other people, I feel like that's what gives us com confidence. It lights up our insides. Yeah, it it, it is. It's part of like it. It's selfish on my part, but I feel good about myself by helping kids. Right. You know, and it's like, no, 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 dude, I need to help you so that I feel good about me. It's not really about you doing well, although I really want you to do well, but like selfishly, it's about me because for some reason, I really enjoy helping you get where you want to go. Right. And it, it's, it, it, I don't know, it's so fulfilling. I think everything happens for a reason. I think like people come into each other's lives like the saying goes, for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, you know, I think we're matched with people so we could learn something from them. You know, each kid that you touch, you're like teaching them something and they're going to remember you. Like we remember our Yeah, for good or for bad. <laughs> Maybe our hour is up. Almost. I was like, is, the, is that the universe telling us? Can, <laughs> <laughs> My hour attention span. Exactly. Can I, this is just a, a like out there question, but I'm kind of curious. Do you believe you've been reincarnated and in a past life on someone as someone in your family tree? Like, do you ever go down that thought process? Wow. I never thought about that before because it's so strange. We found an old, one of those watercolor paintings. There is a woman in this painting. We don't know exactly who she is. I see my face in her like so much. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I kind of feel like it happens with animals, but I never thought about that before. That is really fascinating. I want to get one of those past life readings. Yeah, we, I, I go to these natural life expos. There's one um, in, that rotates from Arlington, Virginia to College Park, Maryland, 
to Silver Spring, Maryland. I think it's called Pathways Natural Living Expo. And they have like meditation there and psychic readings. Like I want to go get a past life regression and just see, you know, that's a great question to ask them. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. I wonder like <laughs> I have no idea. Is that why you just have that like genuine interest cuz it's almost like you're trying to find that spirit's trying to connect some way or show you something that Perhaps. you can learn through your family that you used to be. That that would be so trippy. That would. I would love to find out. Um I have friends who have done past life regressions and these are friends who are open-minded of course. I have friends who are like, "Oh my god, no way." And I have something really trippy to tell you, okay? When my dad passed away, my sister wanted to get a psychic reading. And I only trust one person. It's a, a psychic in California named Tana Hoy. And I knew him from when he worked in Columbus, Ohio, years ago. And Tana, basically, long story short, he connected with my dad after he passed away. He made us wait three months after you know his death. And he woke up to a picture of this guy named Tyler Henry. I don't know who Tyler Henry is, but I guess Tyler Henry is another psychic. Well, my dad's name is Henry. So he felt like my dad was trying to tell him who he was. Okay. And one of the first things my dad said, besides apologizing for everything that he had done, my dad was an atheist. He was a skeptic. I used to tell my dad, oh, I went and got a psychic reading. He goes, how much did you pay for that reading? I said, 25 bucks. He goes, give me five bucks. I'll tell you, tell you your future. <laughs> you know, he was so not into it. But in this reading, he said to, through Tana Hoy to me and my sister, if you had told him that he would be talking to us through, through a psychic when he was alive, he'd be like, oh, that's bullshit. Right. BS. But he goes, now he knows it's real. And I was like, oh my God, like I was blown away because it sounded like my dad. My dad didn't believe in any of this stuff. Right. But he was like admitting through the psychic, like, wow, this is real. So that really touched me. But, you know, I, I before we had that reading, there were two books that changed my life. And I, I my first audio books ever, it was Journey of Souls by Michael Newton and Destiny of Souls. And he had about 60 case studies about people who, had either died and come back or he was doing, you know how you psychologists or hypnotists will regress you back to childhood. So he would go into deep hypnosis, like two, three hours. And some of them would remember being born. Well, some of them started talking and he couldn't figure out what time it was or where they were. And he asked them where they were. And they said they were in the spirit world and they went back before they were born. That book changed my life. Those books and really put me at ease after my dad passed away because I felt like he was in a place of unconditional love. Everyone in that book, each case study described a place of unconditional love like they had not felt ever before. And that made me feel so good, like my dad's okay. Like, I love it. So I think that kind of confirmed for me that like, if this atheist can come back and say he's okay to me through a psychic that he never believed in while he was on earth, I'm good. Like not even afraid of dying now. You know, I'm not rushing it, but <laughs> I'm not afraid of it. Dude, that I'm, I'm gotta, I don't know. I, I want to spend some time talking to like the reincarnation people. I'd love to have that conversation, not like as a skeptic, but to try to understand if it can be proven, but then you look at religion you're like, well, how do you prove religion? Cause it's right. a Bible. It's a book that's been reprinted and like we say, yes, Jesus walked on water and we're like, right. because we just believe it. Right. Cause we weren't there. We didn't exactly. see it happen. Right. I, mean, like, I was raised Christian, you know, so like I believe in Jesus Christ, the son of God, but I believe that because that's what I was taught. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I'm so open-minded that I realized that there are all these different religions saying a lot of the same things. You know, I'm not crazy about organized religion, but I definitely believe in spirituality. I believe in spirits and yeah. souls, you know, and I think we need to stop fighting over all the details. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the details bog it. That almost goes back to the whole like um, race. How do you identify as a race? Like how do you identify as a religion or a spirit? You know, it's like, right. I don't know if it really matters. And right, I right. like the option of like, no, I'm not dead in the ground waiting to get called up at the resurrection. I'm in this like <laughs> spiritual waiting room to fill a void in the universe that something determines I need right. to be reincarnated in. I'm like, that sounds so much better to me. Yes. And I think, you know, when I was a kid, I used to say, oh, why can't everybody be colorblind? 
But as an adult, I'm thinking, well, if we're colorblind, we're kind of closing our eyes to all of the people who do identify a certain way who are oppressed or discriminated against. So I think we have to be, our eyes have to be open enough to see that we are different. And there are people out there who are hating on us who, for anything, it could be for race, it could be for gender, ethnicity, religion, whatever, identity, you know. So I think in that sense, we have to have our eyes open enough to be allies and to fight the hate, you know, be anti-racist, you know, anti-sexist. Um, you know, we have to really just now, I think, thank goodness, we're calling people out and saying, look, we have to do better as a human race. And one more thing before we go. Another book that changed my life, which I didn't even finish it, but I got the gist of it. <laughs> that's how you're supposed to race. read. I'm sorry. Right, I thought right. like that's the point of reading is like, till you get the gist, <laughs> then we're done. <laughs> right, right, right. Like I, the audiobooks I love, you know, I've, yeah. I've, I don't read as much as I used to, but I love nonfiction much more than fiction. So there's a book called The Myth of Race. And the premise of this book is that skin color is human variation, just like eye color. So you have black people with straight hair and blue eyes. My sister, her skin is almost as light as you. She has hazel eyes. When she was born, her hair was red. You know, there are people who um, are white that have curly afros, you know, dark brown eyes and have very dark, um, dark, I almost said dark skin like Boston. Oh my God. <laughs> very dark accent. skin. That's a really you good know? accent. I'm surprised my New York accent didn't come out more with the A words, really dark skin like Boston, you know, but, you know, it's human variation. And I think that's why I don't even believe in race, but we use that word because that's what we're taught to use. Yeah. So. Well, it was really nice chatting with you. I'm, um, I don't know. I, I like the fact that you got something in my spirit about this reincarnation and maybe even like family tree stuff. I think if I get, when I get bored, maybe when my kid goes to college and I'm doing like empty nest, I'll fill my nest with like family tree stuff. I kind of Yes. Like that. Do that DNA test too. You never know. Cool. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for coming on and I'm just having great energy. I, uh, I look forward to just seeing you on Instagram and what you're doing and stuff because um, you just do so much. You're very creative. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me and for getting to know me and letting me get to know you. Awesome. All right, man. Have a good night. Take care. Peace. Huge thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Homeboy's been down since just about day one. If you have not already, search him up, Andre Psyche, on social media. Give my man a follow for the fuck of it. Please, almost more importantly, do not forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Five stars, five stars, five stars. If you have not already, continue with your gracious clicking, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And if you're feeling super generous, as in that ching-ching monetary type, go to our Patreon and support the pod for as little as $2 a month. Oh yeah, and if you know anyone who'd like to be a guest on the pod, go ahead and send their contact info our way. Slide them up into my DMs. Later. <laughs>